today's episode is the second part of a two-part conversation where Chris and I speak with Catherine Zakoyan, and we talk about working with Dabrowski's theory and practice, both studying the theory and working with it in a clinical practice. We talk about emotional tension and the shadow, not only how this applies to an individual, but also in groups, including families and groups studying the theory. Catherine shares some of her practice in working with gifted kids and their families, so whether you're working with clients yourself, starting to study the theory, working with your own therapist, or just working on yourself, you'll find something worthwhile in these episodes. give you the opportunity to talk about the dynamisms in your work you know i mean how how do we want to do that sorry it's another form of tension isn't it talking about (laughs) tension within the individual that's true yeah let let's talk about dynamisms because if we're talking about putting names to forms of tension um and allowing people to grow from that experience it's a perfect time to talk about dynamisms okay so um this morning I was just putting together my thinking on like where I weave the theory into my practice and this is another sort of holdover from that first Dabrowski Congress experience I had somehow somewhere there I learned that really there isn't counseling that's there isn't a Dabrowski counseling model you know there's not it's not really maybe even appropriate in some cases because so much has to be inner work. And so I think as I was just thinking about how I work with Dabrowski, there's some very obvious, obvious places like the factors, like I, with Violet Oaklander's symbolic work, you know, I'll have people select, I do this with adolescents, teens and adults. I'll have them select like three animals to represent their first, second, and third factor, and then give them voice, right? And then we have that complexity sort of out on the table. Um, But what also happens is when I see or hear what feels like a dynamism to me with younger children, I will actually reflect that back. I'm very reflective as a humanistic counselor, but like when kids are astonished with themselves, right? I'll actually use that word. Like you're astonished with yourself. And we see kids do this all the time, right? They'll spin out with their parents and then they'll recoil later and they'll go down that road, that road of, you know, I'm a bad person. Why was I ever born? Like gifted kids often will be, have such hot, intense um, process, right? They'll kind of blow. And then later they'll have this like reflective time where they just feel immense astonishment with themselves. Like, how could I have done that? Um, I, I love my family, right? And so they're trying to rec- reconcile that tension. So I'll introduce that idea to them. Um, and the magic words I also like to use in moments like that are, you know, this is part of growing up. This is part of being human and this is part of being gifted, right? Like these are these are okay things. Like um, I suppose in like counseling programs, they would call that normalizing, but I find that for perfectionistic gifted kids, just to hear that, like, you know, your mom and dad had to figure this out. I had to figure this out. You're figuring it out. You know, some people never figure it out, you know, and you're nine and and you're starting to figure this out. It's super helpful. I also think just telling somebody that I sense that they have a lot of self-awareness 
is really helpful. And I think that dynamism is an easy one to weave in with children. Like you have a lot of self-awareness around this, or you have a lot of awareness around this, or you've got insight around this, because of course they do. It's their life, right? And they're, but I don't know if we say that to children very much in a way that lets them see, like, I see that you can see yourself and then you can, you can bring that out and articulate that to me. When you're looking at that tension between, like sometimes I'll have kids pick symbols to represent them, parts of themselves. And I'll ask them, like, there's many, many exercises you can do with that. But one is pick one of these symbols that represents you at your best and pick one of these symbols that represents you um, maybe at your worst or, or, or the part of you that challenges you the most or the part of yourself that you dislike the most, right? And for gifted kids, this is often hard just to pick one of each. Sometimes they have more complexity than that, right? Um, and I'll do what I can to try to keep it to two just so we can really get to know because those are usually pretty important parts to look at. But when those parts start dialoguing, you know, I'm asking them questions about themselves. And it is, you know, what... <laughs> how long have you been together, you know, with Charlie? Um, what's your job? What are you in charge of? Um, what do you like about your job? What don't you like about your job? And there's tension right there, right? What do you wish for? You know, and then in the wish, we can see what's going on for that part. And often the wishes are coming both from the parts that are troublesome for the child, but also the parts that they love about themselves. And so then we start to resource the other symbol, symbolic parts in with the wishes and what they desire and also in an attempt to sort of smooth the things they don't like about the part. And that tension then allows this really beautiful start of an integration between those two parts. Does that make sense? They kind of resource. And um, it's almost like a mini, like, uh, like a Dabrowskian like, um, conflict sort of working itself out but it might not be exactly in a dynamism um, language, but it's something that will serve the child's development and will serve their growth. And when I first started practicing, I used to worry like, what part am I working on here? Because I didn't want to come from a place of uh, a parent coming and saying, my child isn't doing their homework. And then I'm doing this symbolic work and finding out a way to get them to do their homework. I was like, I'm not interested in that. that that's not interesting to me. But when I talk with children about that same dilemma their parent described, they're like, yeah, it's, you know, it's hard for me, you know, and often with gifted kids, right, things aren't meaningful or, you know, there's other things they'd rather be doing or they feel like um, they can't do it perfectly, so they're not going to try. Those are more the common reasons there. When those parts start talking, the child can then articulate, well, I feel like I don't have freedom in what I'm learning. I feel like I want to be in you know, I, um, we end up getting to a place where the child has a lot of really good sensibility around what they need in their learning, right? And then that integration can happen. And they can start to see that the part of themselves that was refusing to do their homework is actually a very noble part of them that serves them, that helps them grow and be able to self-advocate and say, you know what, I do want to learn about this topic, but the way we're approaching it with these worksheets is not working for me, right? So that sort of solves two things, right? Uh, an inner conflict, but also this inner outer conflict. It's using what's in the room, it's kind of my training, it's using what the child's bringing and giving voice to that conflict or that tension.
So to me, it sounds like you're starting from a place of recognizing some of the disintegrative dynamisms that are going on, like guilt and shame or dissatisfaction with themselves and giving them that assurance that psychoneurosis is not an illness. It's okay to feel these things. Everybody does. You're human. Um, and then using ways to try and get them into that hierarchization mode of thinking about what's actually important to them and how do the parts of them serve to help them make sense of what it is that they actually find important and value. Um, <laughs> so I, I really see that as taking them from that place of, you know, having those terrible disintegrative dynamisms and those horrible feelings and then leveraging that to get them thinking about, well, where do I want to go with this and who do I want to be and, you know, the, the ought to be of Dabrowski. Yes, yes, Emma, that was so helpful the way you just summarized that it was just beautiful and thank you um i don't know if i could have said it as articulately and uh, uh, uh clearly i'm not I, has, I i i really appreciate you bringing that in and it it's true and that that piece of what is and what should be even you know as we see it in that part of that multi-level process but also that like positive maladjustment you know how those kind of fit together and kids are really perceptive around that, both uh, within themselves and also in their environments, whether it's a family system or the or the uh, you know larger school system or uh, the world and the community, and just letting them uh, hash that out, I think is really lovely. And you know, there's this. I have, this is a part of me that I feel like sometimes people think I walk around with a bit of a storm cloud over my head, but, but it, these are just things I think about. I sometimes get concerned when we jump right, especially with gifted kids, we jump right to like saving the world, helping the world, creating good in the world. Um, yes, that's important, but there's these things that need to be in place before that can truly sort of happen. And um, if we're getting our sense of worth by being a contributor to the world or helping to the, the world versus working on that inner process that feels not aligned, um, that just becomes another achievement oriented goal. And um, so this idea, right, that what ought to, what should be, what ought to be positive maladjustment, like we're asking the child often, the gifted child to like, take the take you're the leader of the future blah 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 you know create joy in the world whatever that is solve problems in the world whatever that is but what i found to be really relief relief for a gifted child is to say to them really any child any human but um is to actually talk about the reality that we can have a love of humanity while we simultaneously are repulsed by humanity and i think that's the that's, I mean, when I say that to a child, they like breathe a sigh of relief because they are always in that tension. They want to help and yet they, they, they want to love and yet there's things that are repulsive about the world around them and sometimes the people around them or the students in their classroom and they don't know how to reconcile that. I think just to open that up and, and be like, it's okay. And, and you can do both 
you know, you can have discernment in this way and, and work on your own, um, you know, what makes sense for you. Sometimes that might mean setting boundaries and that might feel to some children like they're shutting down their heart. But once they try it, they realize it, it lets them expand more where it's meaningful or where it's safe. So I don't know, Emma, if I'm getting to this idea that you just brought up about what is, should be, or what ought to be, but I hope I, I hope I got in the neighborhood. I think you actually touched on something that Chris alluded to before is um, that balance between external validation and your internal compass. So like, you, you know, Chris, when you were saying, I kind of need someone to tell me when I'm being an asshole and to point out to me, you know, when I'm doing things or we're talking about complaints and that group tension. And I think the counterpoint to that, particularly as someone who's had poor self-esteem and relied on external validation at times in my life, that once you go through that process of figuring out your values, um, even if you're not yet acting toward them, like you know what your values are and you can actually judge whether or not you're meeting that value. So, once I started getting clear on the who I ought to be part and the how I wanted to behave, I was able to self-direct more and worry less about needing other people to tell me when I was behaving like an asshole because I could tell when I was behaving like an asshole. Well, that's true, but it's not a, like, I mean, I would argue that there are times when it's not, a parent, you know, like, at least for me, like, when I ask people to do that, it's because I'm not, I mean, I do feel like I'm always acting from my values. Whether I do that in a kind way is a different story. You know, my, like, we all have defenses that we use when we're dealing with te external tension, you know, and for me, my go-to defense is generally to just cut people out of my life when they're difficult. You know, I have finite resources emotionally, you know, so for me, like, I know that my go to things are things that aren't going to work when I'm trying to cultivate community in a group, I can't do that in a group and and have a good community. So that's why I asked for feedback. I guess that's the better way to put it. I solicit feedback from people because I need to know if I'm upsetting somebody and it's worked. I've absolutely had people reach out from the group to say, when you said this in the group, it upset me. And I was like, oh my gosh, like it never would have occurred to me that talking about this aspect of the theory would even cause somebody to be upset. But it's because I, I can't know and predict how people are going to react to the things that I say. You know, so I guess I just wanted to clarify, you know, what I was asking for feedback around, because if I'm just like when we have the Zoom study group sessions, if I'm just talking about the theory for 90 minutes with the group, we cover like a huge range of stuff in that amount of time. And it happens, you know, many times I've said things that later I'm like, oh, why did I say that? You know, I mean. And so I love when people do feel like they can come to me later and say, well, geez, Chris, do you really think that was right? And I'm like, well, no. Like now that you've brought it up and pointed it out in this way, I can see that I wasn't right. I love that. I know um, 
one of the areas I, in, areas of interest that I have, like families will sometimes come to me and they'll, they'll say like, we want you to work with our real empathic child, you know, they're sensitive, they see the world and feel the world. But this child, you know, doesn't, is not empathic, you know, and, and in my experience, usually that child is the most empathic person in the family, but they have to lock it down. They have to lock down like all their emotional expressions and, and, um, connection points, even when it feels overwhelming. And I wonder from a Dabrowski lens, like how to bring that person out. And I think like Chris, what you're describing this idea of like asking for reflection, uh, you know, you're thinking about it anyway, and then somebody comes to you. I think that's one of those paths. And I'm not saying you're that empathic person who can't, you know, that locks it down. But I think like that kind of a practice can be helpful to just move, move things like uh, some I haven't for a while, but I used to teach um, psychology coursework here and there uh, at, at one at the college, at the undergraduate population, the college that I attended, the Block Plan College. So we have three and a half weeks together. And that's the only class the students were in. I used to send, get, send out blue books on the first day and ask them to write to me about their experience of class. And I said, please tell me sort of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Like what worked for you? What didn't work for you? Uh, uh, what do you need? And that's everything from, you know, the logistics and the housekeeping to the content, to the way the discussion flowed, to anything else they want to share. And sometimes people are, especially students, you know, they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah, really, I really want to hear. And then I, I would amal amalgamate, I think that's the right word. I'd take all the all the comments and I would come back to them each morning and say, all right, here's what, here's some things that you guys brought to my attention and this is how I'm going to address them. And I tell them, if you don't want me to put it in that summary, tell me and I'll leave it out. Once that started to, to gain momentum, it made everything so great in the classroom. And at the same time, Emma, I see your point. Like, like if I'm holding myself in a way that's, uh, I'm in my own values and I'm in my own, like, my, I'm working within my own set of personal policies. Uh, um, I probably could put that aside um, and just be from that place. But I love this idea of asking people for feedback because it's helpful. But you've raised this really interesting point now that like, I'm going to reflect on this a little bit because I wonder if part of that is for me to get reflection, like, how am I doing? How am I doing? You know, and um, I'm going to look more closely at that. I really appreciate it. I, I say it from a perspective of not only someone who used to completely rely on other people's external validation because I didn't have any internal compass, but it's definitely a mix of the both because in business I've seen where you become completely reactive to feedback without going and validating whether or not it's true. And one of the hardest things with feedback is to have to go back to a stakeholder and say, we've heard what you said, thanks for your feedback, but we're not actually going to do that. Um, and, and to say to people, well, I'm always going to be open to feedback, but it doesn't necessarily mean I'm always going to react to that because there is also my own direction or purpose that I've got to follow. So I, I definitely take everybody's points, but I think it's, how do you use both of those things in conjunction to sort of get that direction that you were talking about you know, earlier, pointing everybody in a process and having them all line up so you can make progress? 
Right, right. I, I thought of one more dynamism I just want to bring in to play because it's such a crux of the work I do. And it's I, in the very first meeting, ask children what it is they want to create for themselves in the counseling process. And then I document that and we work from that map. So, you know, it's like clinical goals, right? It's counseling goals. It's, it's objectives. But I do what I can when I see that progress happening or I see conflict happening around moving in that direction. Um, I try to bring it into awareness and then we do progress like check-ins um, throughout the process, like every several months. And I feel like the practice of like just imagining your ideal self and being able to say, I know it's important that I worry. I know that's an important part of being human, but I don't want to worry in a way that I'm going to miss out on life. Like when a child says something like that, I think it kind of comes back to like this, what we're talking about around um, like feedback and like how to like ask for it and how to take it in because um, I think the power of is that reflective process where this is what somebody wishes for themselves. And as they bring themselves into the process, this is how I can hold and reflect that for them. And this is how they can come closer to what they want. And this is how I can hold and reflect that for them. And I think that allows that person then to do that for themselves, particularly a child, you know, then they have the practice of that. And I think to tie it even more directly, you know, to like the adult, like to a business world is, you know, to be able to be in a business setting where you can, you can organizationally say, what are we doing well? Where are we challenged? And what's our vision? That again is that pointing people in the same direction, hopefully. Even if their vision of the process to get there is different, there's so much power in just that idea of being reflected and then learning how to self-reflect. It allows us to set our compasses for ourselves and decide where we're going, where our compass is going to work, <laughs> where where our compass is going to be in relationship. It sounds like you're helping kids develop an emerging personality ideal, you know, maybe it's the first time that they have taken that opportunity to think about their ideal self. You know, I mean, I don't know. It's interesting to me. I've heard a lot of people talk about, you know, when they first think about that, like, it's interesting that my husband, for instance, I remember him telling me at one point that, you know, he, one of the clearest things I think, for him his whole life is that he remembers being a kid and being like how can i be better you know like and and having that sense of this is what it would be like to be better and and kind of letting that guide him and it's interesting because like for me i'm like i don't know when i started that process to be honest i think i had a personality ideal when i was young i knew that i wanted to help people you know i always had this urge to to help and heal but part of it was because I needed to heal myself. I mean, it wasn't like this selfless, altruistic sense. It was more like I had this intuitive sense that I had pain, that I had to heal. And I was thinking about like, it's it's like what we were saying earlier, what you said when you were like, it can become an achievement to save the world or to, you know, to do something for humanity. And I think that that's where I was coming from when I was young. And I've had to shift that in adulthood heal myself 
and now realize that just the process of self-healing is a model to other people about how they can heal themselves. And that's the real work. And so helping people understand that, you know, if you have a drive to save the world, guess what? You have to start with yourself and do your inner work. There's no way around it. Right. 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 I, I agree. And I think like circling this back to Dabrowski, you know, uh, Chris, you know this, I, I love the great books and I, I just happened to be looking something up in some of the political writings of Kant and, and his work's really complicated for me in, in some areas like his metaphysics, but this, I was trying to find this one part and I had forgotten that in one of his writings called Perpetual Peace, he talks about like this looking inward, right? Governments as politicians. And, and I just feel like that's the key for so much. There's another theorist, um, Joseph Chilton Pierce, you know, he writes that, you know, we can't do anything as an activist unless we've done that same work in our inner inner world. It, it, we can do it, you know, but we really can't be in alignment. We really can't affect change. And I just, I know, um, just coming back to Dabrowski and Kant, like I know he was influenced by a lot of classical thinkers and his, as we learned, in, as I learned in the study group, you know, he had that kind of classical education. I think that's really important. It's seductive, I think, when you're bright to want to solve problems and to want to help. But if we're not also doing that internal work, we can't really help. And I think when you work with kids, there's something they know, like you have to have credibility. They feel your authenticity. Yeah. Yeah. They sniff out the inauthenticity. Gifted kids sniff out inauthenticity right. like immediately. Yeah, right. So it's like you ha have to do your inner work. You have to be able to say, I mean, I guess you don't have to do this, but I do this. Like, I don't know the definition of that word. <laughs> I, I, there's things where I might outpace you and there's things where you're going to outpace me. And I might have to stop you and say, look, I, I don't understand what you just said. Can you break that down for me? Um, I'm smart in my own way, but I'm not I'm not connected up with this kind of information. I need your help. That's what you have to do. Yeah, right. Chris, I, I think your example of growing up and, you know, and, and that's also why I love being a humanist, because I guess one of my beliefs, you know, there's some there's some fate I have. There's some destiny I have. There's something I get to bring to the world. And I don't know what it is. And, and I can remember as a youngster thinking it might be something over here, but that wasn't right. It might be this other thing, but that wasn't right. Um, and it took going through <laughs> shadow to get to those places. Oh, this is what I know. This is how, how I can help. That's right. And so to tie this to Dabrowski in another way, I would argue that this is why Michael spent so much time with case studies of exemplars, because the exemplars are the ones who show us the way and how to do this work. I mean, when you read Peace Pilgrim's book, she is just dropping truth after truth after truth about how you know, if you knew the power of your negative thinking, you would never have another negative thought. Like every, the wisdom in the words of the exemplars is enormous and incredible. And we should take it as a guiding light because this is where the dynamisms are in action. And so that, I think that that's part of what attracted me so strongly to Michael's work is that the words of the exemplars, it's like, oh, well, here's the guidebook I've been looking for, for how to be a better person and do the work that I need to do. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah. And um, I know our group has like just started to like, just started to talk about the, the fourth factor in our group. And um, I'm so excited by that because I think that somehow ties, at least for me, deeply into psychology and deeply into um, fate and destiny and what it is we're bringing. And, and I don't know what anyone's bringing to the world. I don't even sometimes know what I'm bringing because it, it's, it changes or it evolves or it scaffolds to something. And I don't always know what's next. I have a pretty good idea of the thread at this point in my life. But for a child, just to have the understanding that I don't know where they're headed. But if they tell me what they want to create for themselves, I can help with that. I hope Dabrowski would think that that was a valid approach to help with a child's development. Because I wouldn't want to get in a child's way or any soul's way on their path. But I think sometimes all we can do is just be a sounding board and authentic and reflective. And often also weave those kids back to their parents. Say, hey, did you know, did you know that this, this thinking, this true child's got this thinking going on? How can we support that? And the child's part of that conversation. But sometimes the child doesn't know how to approach their parents. Say, this is who I am, and this is who I'm not. I think that it would align with his work with children from my reading of it. I think it's a mistake to think that we get in children's way when we try to work with them and help guide them on their paths. Like you can, you can help without being in their way. I mean, Dabrowski was a child psychiatrist. He worked with children who were institutionalized to think that he was somehow hands off with them is absurd. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks Chris for that reminder. And I, I feel like, um, I feel like I'm honoring and respectful of the child's being. And, and I, yeah, so thanks for, for saying that. And uh, it just reminds me too of like the kids that I've known that have been institutionalized, you know, who are like coming back out of that process. Like they take on like an identity from that. And sometimes that has to be examined together, reflected together. And just like that, example I gave earlier of like the noble, the part that the child doesn't like about themselves. That's a noble part of their, of their path. There was a reason potentially that was noble, um, that we want to hold on to and yet maybe not fully identify with, I mean, not me identifying with, but like as a clinician, uh, identify, like, I don't want to look at this child as like, oh, this child was institutionalized. And that's the only lens I'm using. I mean, there's so much trauma around some children's mental health treatment that then you have to help them heal from that. Yeah. It's the layers of this work are are so deep. Yeah. And and like that careful balance of like, I'm sensing you want to sweep this away, um, but it's not my job to sweep this away and say you need to not see yourself as a child who had that experience. So how do we do that together? Such delicate work. But it, it it just opens the doors, it lets and the windows and it lets it lets the air and it lets the light in. Well, this has been fun. I'm so glad that you joined us. <laughs> I knew that you would be a great guest. But this is <laughs> really important. We well I, I was I mean, I think I speak for Emma too when I say that it's very important for us to show how 
you know, layered and multi-sided and complicated the things that we're talking about are. And every time we have a guest, the most important thing is to to plumb the depth of what they are experts about. And since I know who our most of our guests are, it's been such a fun process for me to say, I know that you know about this, like, let's <laughs> explore this. And so thank you so much for this discussion. I mean, I think it's going to end up a little longer than our usual episodes, but I think that people will forgive us for length. <laughs> uh, well, thanks, Chris. And thanks, Emma. I really appreciate you for all that you brought to this conversation, the questions you asked me, and also the reflections you gave me back. Um, they just really helped me um, in the process of speaking in this kind of a forum. Just been an honor to be here today. It's good to hear, particularly from people that are working with the theory, how it doesn't always look like a literal translation or, you know, photocopy of what the theory is, that in applying it to a real person's life, that there has to be some sort of, you know, translation and adaption to, you know, in order to for it to help people, to be quite frank. So it's nice to see people's different approaches to how that gets done. Yeah, I I I, I think that I agree with that, Amanda. Like there are some people I work with, children and teenagers and adults, who I might offer like a little Dabrowski in a nutshell, you know, um, just to just to get that conversation going because it feels like it would be really valuable. And then there's other children and adults where it feels more helpful to just be bringing in some of these reflections for them um, before we start talking about the theory, if that makes sense. It's just, and it's kind of an intuitive thing, but I think there's, I agree. I don't think there's one just way. Um, I don't remember the word you used, Emma, but one just sort of template or way to introduce the material or the content or the theory. I mean, every time I'm working with some new person, however that looks, whether it's a client or whether it's somebody who joins the group or whether it's a friend in my life who doesn't have a connection necessarily with the theory, I still don't even have like a little elevator pitch of what it's about. Every time I meet a new person, I like reinvent the wheel on how I decide I'm going to describe theory to them. <laughs> and I don't know if that's ridiculous at this point or what, but I just, every time I do it, it has to be like a new authentic interpretation. Yeah, I guess I'm just never going to develop a pitch or like quick explanation. It's, yeah. and so I think that some people must think that's like foolish. And yet, I mean, this is just who I am. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's, that's a great in, insight because the only thing that's close to an elevator pitch is I use the term with a sentence. There are a lot of moving parts to the theory. I almost always, uh. and then I'll pause and maybe the one part that I'm bringing in through, but, but I think that's true. And it, and perhaps like really honoring and reflective of the theory itself, right? There's just, there's so much. And also, everybody's going to have their own experience of that process, right? So maybe intuitively you're somehow dialing that up or dialing that down. I guess the only place where it would be really helpful is when I'm with a group of people, because that's where it all breaks down. Like if I'm at my, for example, this has happened, like I'll be at my sister-in-law's and it's Christmas dinner 
and like some relative from out of town is like, so what do you do? And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, how, where to even begin? But at least now I can say I have a podcast. I used to work in obscurity, right? And it was just me studying the theory every day. And so when that happened, I would be like, well, I study this theory. Nobody's paying me. I'm crazy. So like, <laughs> that's how it felt to me. And now I'm like, I have a podcast, you know, and there's something to attach to my work, which is a relief, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. And I, I think like right in the gifted field too, we have this like focus on the overexcitabilities. Sometimes that's the inroad if that's where somebody's, you know, parents called or whatever. In that avenue, I often will, there's a little tagline I'll add to that, which is um, it's part of what indicates developmental potential. Like I love to add that piece in versus, cause I think you guys know better than I, the OEs have become like their own show. <laughs> and, uh, and a lot of people don't know there's all this other stuff happening because I, I, I want to speak to your ups, working in obscurity. I really appreciate that you did that and <laughs> that you continue to work. <laughs> and uh, because I think it allows you to be grounded in, in what you do, you know, you're grounded, you're grounded in the theory. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. I feel, I mean, you're one of the people who really gets it. So thank you. I'm glad that it's nice to even be able to speak these things out loud at this point. You know, it's just kind of a relief. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And your dedication, like, and, and I don't know you as well, but I, I sense your dedication to the theory, just the way you're able to like take my meandering thinking out loud about this and, and you know, making that a circle that makes sense. I can feel your, your, your grounding in the theory as well. But I, I was just, when you were talking, Chris, about that, your work, I was just thinking about the time when I don't even remember if you told me directly or somebody else told me that you were learning, po you were learning Polish, <laughs> the Polish language <laughs> in order to be better able to translate and understand and work with the theory. And I was like, that is such dedication. So, Fantastic. you know, that was um, six years ago this week. Isn't that funny? Like it oh, was wow. six years ago this week that I was at Beyond Giftedness and Linda Silverman said to me, you should learn Polish. Then you can read Dabrowski in the original. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I never thought of that. And next <laughs> thing you know, I was like buying Rosetta Stone Polish and starting the whole path. Yeah, it's just it's fantastic. It's <laughs> Oh, well, thank you. I mean, it's been fun for me. I mean, it's been really cool to connect with Michael around Polish. You know, I know, I think how much he appreciates that and has enjoyed doing that with me. At times when I drive him a little bananas, he would be like, you haven't asked me a Polish question in a while. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, it would be like a good way to like dial down the Rio stat, as Sheila Gallagher would say, you know, like... <laughs> Ask a Polish yeah. question. Ask a Polish question. Yeah. So I, I hope to I hope to have a, a better grasp as I continue to work with the theory. But I mean, I have other things that are that are that swirl around me that are just as um, important and helpful for me. So I do my best to keep track, keep up with Dabrowski and the study group really helps me in that way. So cool to see what it's become. It's been fun to see Frank's. Um, evolution in his thinking yeah. about the theory and his like the depth of it and it's been a lot of fun to watch how everybody's path has unfolded and it's just it's been a pleasure 
So I'm so glad that you could join us on the podcast. It's fun for me to bring my worlds together. <laughs> yeah, it's been fun for me too. Thanks for inviting me. And um, I look forward to continuing to study Dabrowski with you and tuning into your podcast, which I really enjoy. Thanks for putting Hello. this out in the world. Well, you're you welcome. You do Thank my you. Circle summary trick one last time. Yes. <laughs> All this thing that we're talking about, about dedication to the theory and studying it from different angles, whether it be learning Polish, you know, the whole literary thing of once the author releases the book, like the novel, it's then up to the imagination of the reader. So everyone who comes across this theory is going to come from it from a different perspective. And as we talked about, that's what creates that group tension um, but that's a good thing because it all just adds to the richness and the applicability of the theory. So no matter how crazy you're dedicated or what other things we throw at it or what our perspectives are, it all helps. Nicely said. Nice job, Emma. <laughs> I love it. You really Thank are you. good at that too. Sometimes Emma's doing that in an episode, including this one, and I'm like, God, how do you do that? Yeah. It's very impressive. <laughs> It's so, imp- I agree. It's so impressive. Like, My I, mind I, like I, swims, you know, yeah. I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but the way that you do that so concisely, I'm still like way over here. I don't I've know. I've told you this before. If I can teach goods and services tax and how it applies to insurance yeah. payments to people <laughs> and take something that big and technical and boring and teach it to someone else, I can yeah. do it with this. I think the yeah. problem for me is actually understanding the theory in the first place, <laughs> but listening to people talk about it makes it a heap easier so everybody's like how do you summarize that stuff it's like well clearly you articulated something well i just shortened it well you're good at it i have some of that skill like in the areas where i'm like really grounded you know like in my practice but i'm listening to other people and then summing it up but as i'm speaking in our podcast um conversation tonight my mind i uh kind of like yours chris like i'm just i'm just pulling in like different things and and Emma, I just, I'm amazed. You could just, you're like, oh, let me, let me, let me put that in a, in a container for you. <laughs> you two have a really good um, dynamic. Yeah, and we hardly knew each other when we started. It's hilarious to me that I would just, that I would even agree to do a podcast with someone I barely knew is astonishing to me. Yeah. But somehow yeah. I just knew. I was like, okay, let's do it. Yeah. Like, it's... you know, the theory, I know how to edit things mildly. Let's just like do it and see what happens. I didn't have a reputation to stake on it, though, Chris. So, you know, you were the brave one there. Well, I'm glad it worked out. I mean, for multiple yeah. reasons. I mean, you're we're friends, too. So it's it's lovely. So thank you so much, Catherine. I hope that you'll come back. You're welcome. I would love to come back. Dude, thank you, Catherine. We really appreciate it. And thank you to you, Chris. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Always a pleasure. And thank you to our listeners as well. We always appreciate you joining us. Continue your path to authenticity through the links in the show notes. Subscribe to our Substack newsletter for stacks of cool things delivered straight to your inbox. Explore the Dabrowski Centre, email us, or join us on social media. And don't forget to show your love by liking, subscribing, grabbing some positive disintegration merch, or leaving us a rating or review on your podcast platform.